Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour, where we discuss how things in Montpelier shake out for Wyndham County. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and you are listening on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And as always, since this is a chat show, we must remind people that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guests, not the radio station. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to just take a minute and frame today's conversation. As many of you know who have been listening in during the months that the legislature has been on break, and I put break in quotes because our lawmakers never stop working, a regular contributor and I, uh, regular contributor representative Emily Kornheiser and I, have been digging into some of the bigger aspects that uh, impact our democracy, such as, uh, you know, Civics 101 we talked about, we talked about legislating morality, and last week we talked about how taxes work with Stephanie Yu of the Public Assets Institute. Um, as always, past episodes are available on our Vermontitude SoundCloud page. Today, I want to introduce Secretary of State Jim Condos. He has been doing a lot of work, as many people know, around open meeting laws and, and public right to know laws. However, um, there's also been a lot of work around elections and uh, making sure that those remain safe and open and available to everybody. So I want to welcome Secretary Jim Condos. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Olga, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for spending so much time in Brattleboro, it seems, this week, because you were down uh, midweek to talk about uh, transparency as part of your transparency tour, and you actually walked people through how the public right to know laws work. Um, will those uh, resources that you mentioned during the talk on Wednesday, will any of those be up on your website? Yes, in fact, I believe they just were uh, uh, posted just this morning. Fantastic. So if anyone wants to see the presentation that Secretary Condos did, you can head on over to his uh, state website and find those. And pick the the municipal tab. Thank you. That was my next question. Um, For folks who don't know what the Secretary of State does, uh, give us just a quick elevator pitch. Sure. So uh, I have four diverse and and different types of of, of divisions that I oversee. The first would be the State Archives and Records Management Unit. That's where our most precious documents of the state are kept, such as the the Vermont Constitution, uh, the original Bill of Rights that that the Vermont legislature had uh, approved and sent back to Washington back in the uh, late 1700s. Oh, wow. uh, All the way up to current uh, vital statistic information uh, and and other uh, documents that we we uh, hold or protect uh, for the state. Uh, then I have the Office of Professional Regulation. We oversee 50 uh, different professions. Uh, we regulate them. We have an enforcement unit, um, and we, we currently have about 75,000 licensees that we oversee in those 50 professions. Uh, I also have the corporate registry. Uh, which is basically where if you want to do business in Vermont, you have to come to the Secretary of State's office and register your business with us. Um, and, and then from there, you go to the tax department for a tax ID, and then you go to Department of Labor for unemployment insurance. 
Uh, and then, of course, as most people know, as, as you have already <laughs> alluded to, we have the elections division. Mm -hmm. And the elections division, uh, we have the smallest elections division in the country. We have five people that, that manage it. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and uh, Will Senning is my elections director, and he oversees the other four, and they deal with all the town clerks throughout the state of Vermont. Uh, and we maintain the voter registration database, the main copy of it, uh, but each town actually uh, feeds into it. So uh, the voter registration database is really a, a joint measure between, a uh, joint operation between the town clerks and uh, the, the state. So uh, those are the things that, I, that we do. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, some of it overlaps from the standpoint of cybersecurity, but in the most part, they're all separate, distinct um, divisions. Well, and I'm used to calling up your office to talk about uh, transparency and public documents and public meetings. But I also have called you on a number of occasions to talk about elections, which this year is going to be, be big for your office because we have, what, three coming up this year? Yes. So we have, we have three elections that we'll be overseeing. Um, obviously, we have town meeting day, which is the first week of March uh, for most communities. But we also, we, we, uh, we piggyback on that with the presidential uh, primary. So the presidential primary will be held uh, on the same day as uh, uh, town meeting day, which is the first Tuesday of, of March. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, the, this is the, um, the election where you must decide whether you want the Republican or the Democratic ballot for um, for president, and it's the only time that you actually have to disclose which one you're taking. Um, and so it happens once every four years. Uh, and, and you know, we get we often get questions about that. Right. Uh, Vermont is a uh, a, a non-registration state, so we do not register by party in the state of Vermont and you're free to pick whichever one. And just because you pick a Democratic ballot does not mean that you're considered a Democrat. Uh, you get to choose which ballot you want to vote for your presidential pre preference. Uh, and then we go to the August primary, which is essentially the uh, uh, rest of the races on down to uh, uh, some of the county races. Uh, so you have your House, your Senate, uh, your statewides, uh, all the way down to even uh, states' attorneys and, and uh, sheriffs, which are, those are all every four years, but uh, the rest are every two years. And in that case, you will be given three ballots, one for each of the major parties, uh, and then uh, you get to fill out one and discard the other two, and nobody will know which ballot you filled out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, we go to the November, this coming year it will be November 3rd, uh, in 2020, and that will be the general election uh, where all these races are decided. Wow. And so what are we doing in Vermont to make sure that our elections are safe and sound? Because as you mentioned on Wednesday when you were here in Brattleboro, Vermont is not alone in the states that um, other countries have kind of poked at our, our election systems. That is correct, and um, so a little bit of background. We back in 2016, in August of 2016, before the 16 
uh, presidential re uh, election, uh, we were called, all the secretaries of state across the country were called to the phone uh, for a call, conference call with the Secretary uh, of Department of Homeland Security. And he informed us at that time that, that they detected that the states were being attacked by cyber uh, and uh, that it was, they were going after our election infrastructure. Now, having said that, um, I can assure Vermonters that we here at the Secretary of State's office had been focused on election cybersecurity and other cybersecurity measures going back to 2013. So we were ahead of the game of most of my colleagues. Uh, we're considered one of the leaders. Um, and essentially what, what we found out rather quickly, what the Department of Homeland Security found out is that the, the Russians were uh, attacking uh, through cyber and uh, they were trying to influence elections. Originally their intent was to try to get in and disrupt uh, by changing votes, but they quickly found out that this, one of the strengths of the U.S. election system is that it is uh, diverse and it is decentralized. So it's decentralized to the 50 states and, and even further from there. So for instance, none of our vote tabulators and, and our vote tabulators that count the ballots, uh, they only scan them and then tally them. Uh, none of those uh, tabulators that we have here in Vermont are connected to the internet by either hardwire, Wi-Fi, or remote access. So they are air-gapped away from the internet and you cannot access them that way. Um, they, the tabulators and the memory cards for those tabulators are kept under a, a strict lock and key uh, and a strict chain of custody uh, and, and they are tested prior to the election to ensure that they have not been tampered with. Um, so, but let's put it in, in perspective too, we have the most unhackable, non-technological solution <laughs> uh, for our elections. We have a voter marked paper ballot. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, it is required by law. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't change a ballot once it's been marked and, and sent in. Uh, so, and those ballots are, are sealed in, in secure bags and then uh, stored in the, in the town clerk's vaults for 22 months after an election in case they're needed. Um, we also do within 30 days of the general election, we do a post-election audit. Um, and we've been doing post-election audits since 2006 and have never found a discrepancy uh, of any concern. So, you know, I think what, what Vermont has done to protect its elections is, is laudable. You know, why... It, it's been a concern for me as a journalist, kind of watching some of the narratives, especially uh, since the last campaign into this presidential, uh, you know, this this president. Um, you can tell I'm struggling for words, right? Um, you know, the, the conversation around elections has been concerning for me because two two-pronged. One, it seems that there's been a, a number of attempts to keep voters away from the polls in the first place, but then also just undermining the sense of our elections in general that um, I think I remember Trump before he was elected giving this little speech that basically boiled down to 
elections are rigged and therefore if I don't win, it's because the elections are rigged. But if I do win, it's because I'm so awesome and I, I fought the bad system. Um, and I just thought, wow, to me, that seems like a really unhealthy way to be talking about our elections. I'm wondering if you're seeing that too. And, and does it even matter? Like, why does it matter that we preserve our elections? Uh, it does matter, and words matter. And, you know, the the president has been challenged on several occasions whenever he, he talks about voter fraud uh, and, and whatever, and he has never provided any proof. He he said, for instance, that he would have won New Hampshire had New Hampshire, had, had there been a stricter law in New Hampshire. Hmm. Well, there's no proof to that, and the Secretary of State in New Hampshire came out, as well as uh, members of the president's own party to say, we don't have a problem here. Um, and, it, you know, the only evidence that we have in this country, are, and, and which are nonpartisan studies that have been done, and there was recently a story in Fortune magazine, I think, came out yesterday or the day before, um, talking about the Brenner, Brennan Center for Justice uh, study that they had just completed that shows that that widespread voter fraud is virtually non-existent. Uh, is there voter fraud? Of course there is. I mean, it, it's not, it, it, we're not immune to it, but the, the, the fact that it's, it's not widespread, as the president said, you know, he, he was claiming that there were three to five million votes that would have been his, uh, had, had they not, you know, had there not been cheating. Uh, there's just no, there's no proof of that. Um, but going further, the real voter fraud, uh, and this is what I, I'm, <laughs> I quite often say this, the real true voter fraud that we see across this country is denying any eligible American the right to cast a ballot. That is a constitutional right, and no eligible American should be uh, obstructed or uh, uh, prevented from casting a ballot. Uh, we've taken measures here in the state. My work with with the legislature um, has we've taken uh, have done a lot of work. Uh, for instance, we extended our early voting from 30 days in 2008 to 45 days in 2009, and we currently have 45 days of early voting. We have no excuse absentee voting. We have uh, we passed a constitutional amendment in 2010 that allowed 17-year-olds to vote in the presidential and general election primaries if they turn 18 by general election day. And on top of that, we also, because of automatic voter registration, which is uh, linked to the De Department of Motor Vehicles, we actually pre-register 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who would not otherwise be eligible for uh, voting on, on general election day. Uh, we added uh, in 2012, we added election night reporting. It's an unofficial uh, website that provides up to up to the minute. Um, it's re it's refreshed every five minutes, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it provides up to date um, voting tallies from uh, uh, from our towns, to, and, and, it, it, and it keeps track of those. Uh, again, those are unofficial until the canvas, which is a week later. Uh, we have put a, a lobbyist disclosure online. We've put campaign finance disclosure online. Uh, we have online voter registration. Uh, we put a new election management system in place. 
uh, as I said earlier, we have the automatic voter registration, and we added same-day voter registration. And these are all things designed to take down any barriers and make it easier for people to be able to cast a ballot, um, and, and while at the same time maintaining integrity. Now, uh, remind folks, isn't there also a way that if for some reason you have um, an issue where you you can't leave your home or there's there's some kind of transportation or mobility issue, isn't there also a way to get a ballot brought to your house or mailed to your house? Talk people through that. Sure. So um, actually, we kind of have a hybrid. You know, there are three states that use a mail-in ballot totally. Uh, those are Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. Uh, and what they do is they mail a ballot to every, kind of like a uh, absentee ballot, they mail a ballot to every registered voter in the state. And people can fill out their ballot and send it back, or they can bring it to the polls as well. But here in Vermont, what we do is we still have, you know, the polls, and people can go vote in the polls. Uh, the polls are open from 7 a.m. Well, they open anywhere between 7 a.m. and, and 10, at 10 a.m., but they close at 7 p.m. Uh, on Election Day. And, and um, we are constantly looking for ways to improve voter participation from that standpoint. But it's, it's really, Olga, it's, 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 uh, um, I, I guess I would just say that, that you know, we, we put the systems in place to make it easier for people because we think it's the right thing to do to make to remove obstructions. This is a constitutional right. It's not like it's just a law off to the side. This mm-hmm. is a constitutional right to cast a ballot, to participate in your government. And it, it's what true democracy is about. So that's the concern that we have, and, and that's, that's the, the, the direction that we're, we go in. So taking it one step further, we also have what we call My Voter Page, mm-hmm. and the voter page is a special page for every registered voter in the state of Vermont. Uh, it has just your information on it. You have, you have to have uh, specific ID information to get into it. Uh, it tells you, you you have your address listed there, so if you, if you move, you can make a change that way. It, it tells you who your town clerk is, where, where your polling place is. You can get a sample ballot. You can also request an absentee ballot or an early vote ballot uh, online as well. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of ways that you, you can call your town clerk and ask them to send you a ballot. You can uh, uh, walk into your town clerk's office during that 45-day period and say you're, you, you're here to register, or if, you're not, if you are already registered, you're here to vote. Uh, so you can do that again, and they keep track the town clerks, who are some of our hardest-working municipal officials, on election day, they'll be in their offices uh, and at the polling places well before six o'clock in the morning, and they'll be home. They'll be there until late at night. Mm-hmm. So, given all these attempts to to remove as many barriers as possible between the voter and the ballot box, how is Vermont's uh, voter turnout? So. Uh, we actually, uh, there was a recent study done for the, the uh, midterms in 2018, and we actually were the 11th highest rated um, uh, state uh, for voter turnout. I don't recall the exact number, but, but what we have generally in a presidential year, 
we will be between 65% and 70% of the uh, uh, of, of the registered voters, and then in an off year, in the midterm year, we will be somewhere between 55 and 60%. Uh, obviously, we want to improve that. We want more people to get out and vote. Getting out to vote is really it's important, and people, it's your vote is your voice. This is how you should. Uh, you know, this is how you pick the people who are going to represent you, uh, and, and this is uh, important for democracy. Yeah, it, it always makes me, when, when someone says to me, oh, I don't vote because it doesn't matter, it always reminds me of a few years ago, a select board race in Brattleboro, where it went through a number of recounts uh, between, I think the two people were Avery Schwenk and uh, Dick DeGray, were the two candidates. And it was literally decided by, I think it was, if I remember correctly, two votes is what finally decided it. We've actually had several uh, races, and and we do almost every uh, general election. Uh, Usually it's a House race uh, where it comes down to, you know, anywhere from one to five votes. Uh, So we have a lot of races that that end up in that direction, and we have to have recounts. Um, So, you know, it, it... Every vote does matter, and as again, I, I can't emphasize it enough. Your vote is your voice, and this is this is how you get to speak your mind. So, talk to me about misinformation, because I know in this world of of cyber warfare uh, and social media, where something can get saved around or shared around the world in in seconds, uh, what is your office doing to make sure? Um, that information that comes out of the office gets to the people and, and to keep misinformation as low as possible? So we believe that the, the, the biggest uh, impediment that we have going forward is going to be social media disinformation and misinformation. Make no mistake about it, the bad actors like the Russians, the North Koreans, the Chinese, their, their goal is to disrupt and influence our elections. Uh, and, and they are using social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Um, my national association, when I was the uh, president, we actually worked with Facebook and Twitter and were able to develop uh, a, a web portal for the, the 50 states to be able to, if they identify clear misinformation or disinformation, to be able to report it to both Facebook and Twitter so they could take it down. We don't want to see that out there, and we believe it's important on, for people to understand that they should go to their trusted sources uh, for uh, information about the election cycle. For instance, go to your town clerk if you want to know about the process, if you want to know what, what the hours are. Go to, your, go to the Secretary of State's website or, or to give us a call. Uh, it's important that you, you tr- have trusted information. And to that end, the Department of Homeland Security and the National Association of Secretaries of State have started a campaign. In fact, it just went live this week. Uh, it's called Trusted Info 2020. Um, and it's going to be a campaign right up until the election to uh, educate folks to make sure that they think before they link, that they think before they share, that they uh, actually understand and know where that information came from. What we're really concerned about is obviously around election time Mm -hmm. when someone says, 
oh, well, there's a power outage at your polling place because the bad guys now can actually use Facebook and get, they can get to specific areas of a state or a town. And what we want to make sure is that they don't say, put out a statement that says there's a blackout um, and uh, the polling places will be open until 10 o'clock, so don't show up until after 7. That's not going to happen. Our polling places in Vermont close across the state at 7 p.m. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the same thing they could say that Democrats vote on Tuesdays and Republicans <laughs> vote on Wednesdays or vice versa. And, and so we, we want to be really clear that the information that is out there, you need to go to your trusted sources to um, ensure that you have the right information. Well, and I think that's a very interesting distinction because when we've talked about, at least in, in the Commons newsroom, about misinformation, especially on social media, it's things like, oh, talk, targeting a candidate or saying, oh, you know, 50% of Democrats believe this and, and 40% of Republicans believe that, that kind of misinformation. And yet what you're talking about is, is really nefarious in that misinformation that could actually keep people away from the polls on voting day, such as... That- there's a flood at exactly your poll place. The, that's exactly the concern. Mm-hmm. And and so just to reiterate, you're you're suggesting that people always contact their local municipal center directly if they have questions. It, it's that's the the most trusted source for most people is going to be their town clerk. Um, so you know that makes the most sense to contact your town clerk, check their website to see if there's anything uh, that that they've posted. You can also check the Secretary of State's website. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, again, n- know where the information is coming from or try to know and understand where that information is coming from. And, you know, when you talked about bad actors, you mentioned uh, other countries. Are there sources within our borders as well that we need to be aware of who might be trying to muck with elections? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any identities to give you, but yes, the, 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 obviously there is. But I think that the really what we're seeing, the, the bulk of what we've seen since 2016 has been uh, uh, social media responses that were trying to influence how people either think about uh, the electorate uh, or think about the candidates or think about the elections, trying to divide us as a country uh, and, and that's the concern that we have. Uh, but, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to stay on top of it. We're working with the Department of Homeland Security. We've got communication channels that we never had between uh, the Homeland Security, the FBI, Secret Service, uh, F, F Facebook, uh, Twitter. So we, we now have uh, real good uh, um, uh, communication channels. Uh, you know, the Department of Homeland Security, set up what we call an election day dashboard, uh, election day threat dashboard, and all 50 states are connected to it. So if someone reports something like, say, out in Washington, we'll see it as well, and we'll be able to react because we're seeing that it's, okay, this is happening out in Washington. Let's make sure that we're on, a, on alert in case it happens here. Uh, so, so there's a lot of better communication channels uh, since 2016, and that really is becoming a strength for us. 
Yes, just a reminder that Vermont is is not an island, even though we often think of ourselves as one. Uh, I want to do a 180 uh, Secretary Condos and just bring it back to Vermont and its open meeting laws and its its uh, public document laws, uh, if yeah. you don't mind. Thank you. So one thing I am curious, because I see this on the ground. Um, on one hand, I really am impressed with our right, what we call collectively our right to know laws, um, as far as what people can have access to and the amount of access that is expected by um, or protected by those laws, I should say. But one of my concerns is it does seem that while the laws themselves are are weighted towards transparency, weighted towards access, and weighted towards uh, protecting the public's ability to access information, whether it's through a meeting or through a public document, it seems like in practice, the weight actually falls towards the municipalities and the state in the sense that they have more resources to um, dig into the law, to uh, come up with reasons why something might be exempt. Um, and I have to say that concerns me a little bit. Have, is that something you are seeing at your level? So, um, yes and no. But let, let me just explain... Since I was elected and, and took office in 2011, I have been very much working with the legislature to try to improve our right to know laws um, and uh, to make put, to, to kind of push the pendulum towards the uh, citizen rather than the government agency. In the past, for instance, with with public records, uh, in the past, the there was a there was a real. Uh, attitude that, uh, you know, I'll deny, I'll deny a request for records because there's really no harm done to me. If, if, uh, if someone takes me to court, the court's just going to say, provide the record. Well, that creates a burden on, on the public, and the public uh, may not have the, the resources to actually go to court uh, to uh, try to get those records. So what we did was we worked with the legislature and changed one word in the, in the statute. It went from may to shall. So instead of the court may award attorney's fees, it, the law now says the court shall uh, uh, award attorney's fees if the, if the citizen wins predominantly on, on their case. Um, this is a change in attitude, and, and actually, uh, we, you know, we think that it's, it's, it's working in the positive, and actually most states in the country actually have that provision set mm -hmm. up that way. Uh, but the other piece that I've been pushing for since 2011, uh, as you know, Olga, is, <laughs> is an ombudsperson. And the ombudsperson, in my view, would be once you, re re you are denied an, uh, a document, uh, by a government agency, whether it's a state or municipal agency, once you get to the top, the, the final arbiter, if you so to speak, of, of that agency or, or municipality, uh, your next step would be to go to court. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that the state create an ombudsperson, and that ombudsperson would kind of sit in between the final denial and, and the court uh, and would provide, uh, have the authority to provide uh, legal opinions on um, 
whether a, a public record should be uh, uh, produced or not. Um, I think this will be a huge benefit to mm-hmm. the state. Uh, I also think that it, it will help swing that pendulum even further towards the citizen. I I can see the wisdom in that. Um, I'm curious to see. I, I'm kind of curious why has um, that position not been created? Because it is a, a burden on the citizens when you have something like a state agency or a municipality that has a lawyer on retainer and can give legal advice along the way for a citizen to have their next step be a court case where they may not have those resources uh, to go through a court case or the know-how to go through a court case. Um, an ombudsman seems like a really good choice or a good move. Have you gotten feedback as to why this position hasn't been created? Well, I think for the most part, it comes down to funding of the position. Um, obviously, uh, it's not just a position. You, you might have a staff person, but you also need an office. Uh, you know, th- there are costs to it, and the legislature and the governor have, have, uh, have had their priorities that they're trying to put in place as well. So it's just a competition for the different things. Uh, I think that there's probably, I'm hoping that there's going to be more support for it as we go forward. Uh, but this is, you know, I, I, I get it. It's, I, I was a state senator myself, and I understand that, uh, you know, there's only so much money, and you have to figure out where the money's going to come from. But I think this is really, really important for the citizens uh, of the state of Vermont and, and for our right to know laws. Well, Secretary Condos, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank you so much for for being on the show. Any last words or anything you wanted to add before I send you back into your day? (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just remind people that your vote is your voice, uh, and and it's important to get out to make sure you're registered and that you're you're, uh, able to cast a ballot. And and I would also suggest that... uh, uh, transparency is, is, is really the, the foundation of our uh, democracy, uh, that it's important that uh, we, we maintain and, and protect our right to know laws. Secretary of Jim Condos, if people wanted to find more information, what is your website or is there a number they can call? Uh, well, I, I, let me give you the website and then all our contact information is there. It's www sec.state.bt.us Secretary of Con- Sorry, Secretary Condos, thank you so much for joining us today on the Montpelier Happy Hour. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too.